So I just want to jump right into his word and uh, go right into uh, what I was preaching on last week. I want to take it somewhere. I want to go somewhere deeper this week. So um, just quickly, let's turn in the word and you can just turn with me. We're going to turn over to the book of Exodus uh, chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and uh, let me do the same here with you. And I don't always do this. Sometimes I have it all there in my notes, but I'm going to turn like you are uh, because I feel like I just want to read this. I was just going to mention it, but I do want to read it. So Exodus chapter 3, and uh, it says that Moses in verse 1 was out tending his flock Right, it was his father-in-law's flock. This was his job. It's what he did. Just he was out living his life. He had settled here in us uh, in in Sinai. He had settled out there in the wilderness, and he had uh, now had a wife, children, and this was his life. And it says in verse two that there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. It says that. Uh, though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. And in uh, verse 3 in the New King James, it says, Moses said, I will now turn aside. Let's just say that out loud again. I will now turn aside. It says, I will turn aside. And it says in verse 4, continuing in the New King James, that it says, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside, it says the Lord saw him turn aside. And as he Turned aside, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And I just feel like I needed to read that again because what I wanted you to get, and I want to springboard from that today, is that if you got one thing, you can, I encourage you to go listen to the podcast because I have notes, but the Holy Spirit bypassed me, especially last week. He does that many times, but really bypassed me. So uh, I'd have to listen to the podcast to tell you what I fully said. Um, But go and listen to it because I know that the Lord said many things last week. I really uh, believe that he had some things to say to us. And so I'm going to springboard from that idea of this. There's many other points in there. But this idea, I knew I wanted to get across and I believe the Holy Spirit did it, which is it's a moment to turn aside. If you get one thing. It's this. It's a moment to turn aside. That there are moments like this all the time. There is literally a burning bush before you. When you came to Christ, you just didn't realize it yet. All you knew is this moment is either good or bad, but there's something about this moment that causes you to draw near to God. Right? Who had that moment? If you are a believer, you had that moment. Something caused you, right? Nobody in here, I don't think, maybe you did, but I don't think anybody had a visitation from Jesus. Did anybody in here have Jesus come down with his angels and riding a white horse and say, hey, I'm Jesus, by the way, and I'd like you to be in my kingdom? No, most of us had an experience like this in the sense that you're just going through your life. You just think, well, okay, this is life, and this is what it's about, and and I, I, I drink on the weekends, I watch sports, I work this job, and I mow the lawn, and I pay the bills, and I'm saying lots of manly things, just assuming that's what men do. Tony's like, you just described me to the T. And, and then suddenly, something's interesting in your life. There's a moment in your life where 
where God just starts to shake some things. And I, I, I told you, I started to tell you last week that um, I felt the same thing happen in my life where I was even raised in a Christian home, but at a moment, there was a moment where I, I knew that there was something more. There's something to this moment. God just started to, to do some things. So I turned aside to him. And that's what the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, if you will come close to God, James 4, 8, uh, he will come close to you. And you may know it, more traditional texts like the New King James says, to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Notice the text says to, that you draw near to him first and he draws near to you. And, and here's why. It's not because God makes you come to him. It's because he's already there. From the moment you're born, he is wooing you into his kingdom. Please, 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 please. In fact, there is no excuse God says about those that don't choose to follow him because just of creation itself. And I've mentioned before, when you look at a baby being born and, and just the fact that we decide I'm going to have a baby and then somehow magically nine months later, a mini you, which is a little bit of each of you, comes out and then grows up to be a, a man or woman, you know, who does things even greater than you, hopefully. And that's just incredible. And, and, to, and to not recognize God in that is insanity. It's total insanity. Totally demonic to think that it's anything else or that that's an ape. That your precious little baby is just the descendant of an ape billions of years later. You're not giving your kids very much <laughs> credit if that's what you think. It's amazing. God is amazing. And so it's not that he expects you to come to him. It's that he is already there. He has given the offer out. The offer's already given, and it's for us to respond to it. And the second you respond, who remembers this moment in your life? Not just once, but this moment many times where the first time in salvation, but then after that, right? Many moments in your life where you were at a crisis or you had taken a wrong turn. You already knew him, but you're down a wrong path. And then all of a sudden you stop like Moses does. All right, there's something about this moment. I don't know what it is yet. You step towards God, and immediately God begins to speak, right? He calls you. That's when the moment happens, when you, you have to stop. you got to stop doing what you're doing, and sometimes God makes you stop, right? Hopefully, that's not where you had to get to, but sometimes, as I mentioned, sometimes people have to hit rock bottom, and it's easier to find God because he made them. They had no choice, but they were on their back, right? There's an easier way. It's easier to come to him when you don't have to hit, you don't have to hit rock bottom, but he loves you so much that if that's what it takes for you to finally call out to him, okay? So we are, uh, need to turn aside now. The Lord has put a call out there again. This is a moment to turn aside. This is a moment from God to turn aside and to recognize him, and he has some things to say. He has some things that he wants to do in your life and through you. So I want to say from that three things, and hopefully, Holy Spirit, help me to preach this sermon. Uh, three points I want to make immediately, and then, and hopefully uh, it doesn't become jibber-jabber, but three things. Number one, we are individually important to God. Say, I am individually important to God. All right, so I, I need to say that first, because where I'm going to go, you might think you don't matter, but you do. You matter as a person. You in particular, you matter. But with that said, 
Actually, before I say that, let me, let me emphasize it even more. He would have gone to the cross just for you. In fact, God would have become a man, suffered rejection and death just for you. He loves you so much that he can't give you anything more because he's already given you everything, even his own life. Period. Just for you. And with that said, say now, it's not about me. <laughs> He's an individual God. He comes, if you read the word, you find out he comes and finds individuals. He cares about that individual. But every single time, while that individual is wrestling with God and dealing with God, it's about a bigger picture, isn't it? It's always about a bigger picture. There's not one character in the entire Bible where they're like, man, I found God, and that's it, man. I've just, I've arrived, and uh, I'll see you guys. I'm going to be moving away because I, me and God, we're one now, and so uh, he's moving me off to Tahiti, and um, we're going to get one of those private islands that haven't been claimed, and uh, we're just going to have an amazing time, just kind of live in heaven now. Um, and, uh, and the rest of the world can just suffer and go to hell. But I didn't say that out loud. Anyway, second point. That's what you're saying when we withdraw like that. The second thing is, is he does want you to overcome your issues. And that's a myriad of things. He wants you to overcome the obstacles to stand in your way. Uh, sin was one of the, the major obstacles, but it's not just blatant sin okay we repent of our sins just to even to come to him even to draw near to him the first thing we must do is repent you can't even get close to him without without repentance if you think you know him and if you think you're close to him and you have not repented of sin you are lying to yourself that's not the word of god so sin was an obstacle but that's not the only obstacle is it there's many other obstacles, there's many things that stand in our way, and just the, the things of life that try to weigh us down. We come to Christ, but then we're like dealing with stuff forever and ever and ever. Who can relate sometimes? You go through those seasons, and, and hopefully they're just seasons, and it's not the story of your whole life. But there are many obstacles, and, and the devil's a part of that, but also your past. You know, you're dealing with stuff from the past. You're dealing with living in a fallen world. There are many reasons why, but Jesus cares about you individually, it's not about you, but he wants to help you get through every one of those obstacles. In fact, let me just read what I wrote so that I can get it out in the right words, instead of me just assuming, let's just see, it says that by trusting in Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit perfect us, he makes us holy. And that basically means that he separates us. It's a fancy religious word. Uh, we think of holy as something religious, but really it just means separate, not, not in the world anymore, set apart. He pulls you out of the world, just like he rescued you from the trap of sin. Really, there are many other traps that we kind of stay in and we don't realize that we're still in. Just by being enamored by this world and by this life is not necessarily going to send you to hell, not that trap of sin. But there are trappings that are keeping you living a lower, lesser Christian life. You are not reflecting Jesus or experiencing Jesus the way that he wants us to, called us to, expects us to, and needs us to. 
But we put our trust in him, we give him our junk, and he makes us something of worth. He delivers us from bondage, addiction, wrong motives, worldliness, and every other burden we were never meant to carry. And once we begin this journey with him, he is faithful to never leave us. And if we will trust in him and endure to the end, we will be saved. That's what the Bible promises us. Now, let me say it again. That's why I made it so, I emphasized it so much that, let's say it again. But at the same time, it's not about me. All of those, everything I just described, his love and his compassion and his mercy and the stuff he's working on inside you is something that he's doing during you being light bearers, image reflectors, kingdom people. It sounds like I'm speaking in gibberish. Those are real terms. Those are terms of our word. The Bible says when he made Adam and Eve that he made them in his image and his likeness. They were an exact replica of God, except that we don't have his throne. It's his throne. In fact, once they disrespected that, the fact that he sits on a throne and we don't, that's why they lost the garden. But in every other way, he made the many versions of himself. In fact, he says, you don't have dominion over the universe. That's my job. I'm God. You don't have dominion over me. I'll worry about me. But you can have dominion over this whole earth. This is your domain. You have dominion. Have life here. And really put very little restriction on them. All that he asked them to do was just trust him. And their job on this earth was to shine the glory of God upon it. Satan, when he got them to sin, they no longer reflected God's glory. In fact, it says that they recognized nakedness. And God said, who told you that? It was something that they, they shouldn't have even been aware of. And in fact, I don't think really they were naked. I mean, their body was, but I think that, that their eyes have been opened, that the, the nakedness is not even just that, that their eyes could suddenly see, but the nakedness was this sin. They stepped into something that they weren't supposed to step into. They were outside of now God's glory. They were naked because they weren't, they weren't carrying his glory anymore. They were covered in his glory, and the nakedness was they lost something. Adam and Eve lost something. They separated themselves willingly. They did it. They chose to do it. And so God clothes them with skin. He comes down and he puts on skin, which, you know, we think of that as he strips off the skin of the deer and the, and the bear because it's cold, you know, and, and, and uh, the beavers for their, you know, and the raccoons, and we see, you know, the hats, and we think that that's the skin. But you, did you ever think that the skin that you're wearing, you realize you wear skin. You realize that you are a spirit, that, an eternal spirit inside that skin. But the only thing on you that doesn't last is the skin. Your spirit lasts. So it's possible that just... It's not even animal skin, and, and we think of skins like, he, you know, he skinned the animals. And it, it says that in, in words for us to understand, 
it says it in the word, but really what the Lord was doing was, was putting something upon you so that you could live in this life now. You could live in this realm. How do I, how do I make amends for you to live in a world that you entered into that you shouldn't have? So I got to put some skin on you, right? In the world, we call that tough skin, right? If you really got some, right, you've really been able to get through life well, you, you know, that can be a bad thing too, coming to Christ, but you might be called, said that you have tough skin. And it's because now suddenly you're living in a place that you shouldn't have been, so God figures out a way to make it work. But that's not his way, was it? That's not really what he wanted. What did he really want? He doesn't want you to try to put on tough skin and tough it out and just get through life and survive. Right? And that's what the curse was. Now they're tilling the ground and it won't break up and childbirth hurts. Right? Part of the curse is that the woman needs the husband all the time. Did you realize that's part of the curse, men? I'm just playing. You know, the wife's like, hey, where are you? I need you home. It's part of the curse. We were put into a place and trapped, really, into a place that we were never meant to be. Our purpose was not to overcome and to try and to do. We just were. You realize Adam and Eve didn't need to try to be Adam and Eve. They didn't need to try to reflect the glory of God, okay? They just were. They just walked, they just were in it. It's just, they were free. They had a freedom living under his glory, in that place of glory, and just reflected it naturally. They didn't have to try to reflect his glory. They didn't have to try to be the image of God. You get what I'm saying? Am I making any sense? The Bible says that God had a plan over and over and over and over and over and over again, doesn't it? Doesn't the Bible tell us that over and over and over again, that he's got a plan? In fact, he kept a secret, didn't he? And aren't you glad he kept a secret from the darkness with Jesus? Satan's kind of trying to figure out who he is, and he, you know, he brings him up, and he tempts him three times. He's like, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God. And, and I'm hearing it you know, from a different perspective suddenly, and I always heard it through the Scriptures as the temptation, which it is. But I also hear it on the other side. I wonder if Satan's trying to figure out who Jesus is. Because he's kind of shrouded in, in confusion. I mean, the religious don't recognize him. So you wonder if Satan doesn't fully get, he knows there's something to this guy. I need to watch him. And I'm going to try. He tries to kill him more than once. Jesus slips through the crowd. So he didn't, it's not that he didn't try. But he, I don't know if he doesn't fully understand. But we know the scriptures, actually, yeah. We know from the scriptures that he didn't fully understand. We just don't know what he did understand is what I'm trying to say. I don't know what to what level, but what I do know from the word, he didn't know the grand plan, did he? Because the Bible tells us that if they had known, they would not have crucified him. So God had a plan through Jesus that darkness was confused with and didn't understand. And they thought they were crucifying him and ending this era and, and, and crushing this, this sudden uh, refusal 
to live religious, right, and, and, and live in the bondage that had come, you realize that the law came through Satan. You know that even God sending his law was not his way. I know that's confusing, but that's not his way. God didn't want law. He wanted a relationship. He didn't want law. Satan and our rebellion and our stubbornness is why there's law. Adam and Eve didn't even understand what good and evil was. Can you just try to imagine for just a moment this concept? All they understood was, ready? This is, this is following God. A, B, C's, one, two, three. Do this. Don't do this. Okay, ready? One more time. You can eat of every tree in this entire garden. You don't realize how amazing you are, but you're eternal. I know you don't get it. People are going to get really mad at you one day and wish that you didn't mess things up for them. But Adam and Eve, you got it made here. But don't touch that tree right there. Don't eat that fruit. That's it. That's how simple it is. Simple, simple, simple. And, and naturally, as long as they ate of the tree of life and didn't eat of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, they didn't have to try to reflect God's glory. They didn't have to try to be good. They didn't have to try to love each other and try to deal with the issues of my father and my boss and you don't know what they did to me. None of that. They didn't have to do any of that because they were. Come on, just say they were. I'm, I'm, I'm taking us somewhere, guys. Am I over? Am I, am I talking too deep or are we getting somewhere? We all right? It's like, <laughs> wow, man, maybe in 10 years this podcast would be taken off the internet. I'm going to say it anyway. It's like when you're born a man or a woman, you are a man or a woman. You can try to change that all you want. You can change genitalia. And it still does not change that God made you a man or a woman, period. You can try, try, try. The Lord spoke to me a long time ago. I'm not going to go through that whole thing, but you've heard it before. If you know me, you've heard this testimony. The Lord said to me, you can try, 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 try. That's a song. It's a Kobe Kelly song. I don't even, I don't know her. I don't even listen to that music. The Lord brought that song supernaturally. He used that song to get to my spirit. I heard it three times on the radio, back to back, searching the stations for a Christian song one morning. And the point was that you can try, try, try. You don't need to try. That's not what I want you to do. I don't want you to try to be good. I don't want you to try to be a Christian. I don't want you to try to pray. I don't want you to try to make time. I just want you to be. And I know this concept sounds confusing because everything we do in life is trying. Like the, the, the way of the curse is to try. Remember, that's the curse. The, the ground produced on its own. Can you imagine? It just was, it just was, it just, God made it perfect. It existed on its own. 
it circulated on its own, and we had this amazing firmament that the uh, moisture would go up kind of like our broken cloud. We have a broken system through sin, but moisture would come up and come back down and come up and come back down, and the seeds did what they kind of do now, but we didn't have blight, and we didn't have, you know, uh, hurricanes, and we didn't have drought, and et cetera, right? We had it perfect, and Adam and Eve just picked what they wanted when they wanted, and they just were. They just existed. But suddenly, we're out there, we're in this world, we're trying to figure it out. And he's digging at the ground. We need to realize that was not God's way. The way that God made us was to be a reflection of him upon this earth. And the Lord, man, oh, how do I not keep you for three hours and thank you, Lord. The Lord was working on a plan and it was going to lead us to Jesus. And when we read in the Old Testament, the stories of the Old Testament, and post the fall, post Adam and Eve, we should read them as Christians through the eyes of Christ. Through, I mean, through the blood of Christ, through the cross of Christ, through salvation. Don't read them just as a history book and just as a story. We need to look at those things as all leading towards Christ. So, and it's all there for a reason. If God didn't want it to be there, it wouldn't be there. The reason your Bible's this fat is because God wanted it that fat. Okay, if, it, if he wanted the Gospels to be your Bible, <laughs> then he would have made that the Holy Bible. There's a reason why there's 75% of it is the Old Testament. Because God's telling, he's, he's trying to get you to figure a story out. You don't need to figure it out. If you just believe it, there's no figuring it out. But our human intellect fights so much. That's what's actually happening that's what I'm trying to get to. Let me just say it instead of trying to make it cryptic. The real issue is this. Still to this day, this is what God says to do, but that tree looks good. And so we just keep partaking, and we keep partaking. Now, the thing is that the devil was, and I preached this not too long ago, but he was crafty, wasn't he? He was subtle. Man, TJ and I, we've been talking so much about this. We just, it comes up all the time because of the darkness and the earth and the things going on in our times. And it's because I keep saying, we just keep talking about it. It's because of the subtlety of the devil. He's sneaky. You don't realize that you have started to pick off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil again. Even as believers, we start picking off that tree. We just start, we get back into this world system so quickly. We come into the Lord's presence, and then we're back into this world, and we all of a sudden, we're striving, and we're working the ground again. We're trying to make something happen. We're trying to like work through life and fight through life and figure stuff out. That's the curse that is not for you to live in. And Jesus made a way. Jesus restored some things. The Bible says that this moment that, just very quickly, I'm just going to read some verses because otherwise I won't get to them. So just quickly, uh, Moses has this encounter with God because God is trying to, to get us back to the place that he wanted us from the beginning. 
which was to walk with him, to have a relationship with him. It was not to be rich. It was not to be successful. It was not just to overcome your issues. Those things, you don't even care. By the time you get into the presence of God, the place that he wants you to be and just live there and you're just there, you ever notice once you have something and you've had it for a little while, it doesn't mean as much as when you craved it. Like you think, man, just that new car, that's it. That's what I need. And once I get that thing, I'll be so happy. And then a year later, you're like, yeah, it's my car. It's the car I have. It's what I own. Right? That's human nature. But honestly, the things we think are going to make us happy and fulfill us, and that's why the devil's got us into this striving and trying and doing. And that's why we're still dealing with us. And we're still wondering, does God love me? The only reason we're still wondering, like, does he love me? Does he care about me? Because we still haven't gotten it yet what being a believer is. That none of those things, those things, it's not that it doesn't matter to God, but it doesn't matter on the grand scheme. You won't care about does he love me or not because when you're serving him and you see, man, I'm, I'm going to just push that question off to the side. I'm going to go and serve him and do what I need to do. I need to reach that person who really doesn't know if God loves him or not. And suddenly, when I see God touch their life through my life, I don't question his love for me anymore. It's not even a question anymore. And then when I see that I just give myself fully for these people that are in front of me, and I stop praying and worrying and striving and working and spending every hour trying to make it work in my life, Suddenly, somehow, God's just doing it automatically. Somehow, it's just happening. Somehow, the bills are getting paid, and somehow, I have everything I need when I started giving myself fully to God's kingdom. He's looking for his people to be, not to try and to do, but just to be. When we start looking at him, when we, st when we truly get this picture that it's an eternal that's an eternal vision. When we truly get the picture that we are the reflection of God and that God is actually, we're his ambassadors on this earth and that's what this life is about. This life is not about you becoming something or arriving or achieving or making a name for yourself. Because if you do that, Jesus warns us, the, the least will be greatest and if you make it to be the greatest on this earth, well, guess what? You'll be the least in heaven. So that's not what I want to be. And the funny thing is, when you get there, you won't even care. <laughs> it won't even matter. You'll just be so proud that you gave your life fully for him. And you'll look back at a life that somehow supernaturally he, took, he just took care of it. God wants to be a supernatural God. You realize that his original creation was supernatural. And that their bodies were supernatural, okay? They were eternal, they didn't have to, like, take these vitamins and work out this much. And then if I really want to get in shape, i got to work out the second hour because that's what really makes the difference, right, Dawn? It's that second hour. The first hour just doesn't do it. They were just like Superman and Superwoman all the time. There was a Christian scientist who actually tried to recreate, in the best of our understanding, that is. He tried to recreate um, an environment like the Garden of Eden, and he planted this, this, uh, this tomato plant, and, and it produced like 30,000 tomatoes, like something so stupid, like so beyond. And in fact, that technology, then um, he didn't invent it, but he, he was on the, on the edge of it, 
That's what the hyperbolic, hyperbaric, hyperbaric, right? Hyperbaric chambers are, which is they double the oxygen, and you know these sports athletes are like healing overnight or very quickly, right, because of it. So it was just an amazing place that God created. It was supernatural, and we're trying to naturalize God. We're trying to figure everything out and just make it so natural. And honestly, that's why the church today has no power. Because we come to God, we worship God, and then it's like, okay, God, here's what we're going to do for you to reach this city. And here's how I'm going to do this, this, and that to reach this particular people. Instead of just trusting in him moment by moment, day by day. I mean, do you ever wonder about the verses I was just talking about this this week as well, where he's like, don't even plan what you're going to do next year. You ever wonder about those verses as Christians? I mean, again, I say it all the time. If you're planning for retirement, keep doing it. I'm not telling you to get rid of your retirement. I'm just saying, do you ever wonder if we're trying to do too much? We're trying to naturalize it and try to grab a hold of like some sort of heaven right here and now and not just... And, and not be the people God truly made us to be, which is a reflection of his image. Meanwhile, he loves you. Meanwhile, he's working on your issues. Just it, somehow, you're like, man, I don't swear anymore. Whoever, who had that happen, right? Like, man, I don't have the urge to do such and such anymore. I've just given myself to the kingdom, and I didn't try to quit and try to be and try to do. I just am. Does anybody have that testimony? And that's because it's a supernatural God. It's a supernatural life that he's called us to live. We're supposed to live in his glory. So just quickly, if you can bear with me, let me just show you that this is scriptural. So very quickly, we have Moses. He has this encounter, and this is it, man. He's like, he's been meeting with them, right? He met with Abraham. He met with Isaac. He met with Jacob. And he met with them, and they get into Egypt. They get into the world, and it's been 430 years, right? And, and here we are, though. He's going to bring them out. He's going to make a people, and he's going to finally have a nation, all right? So that's all the backdrop. You know the story. So finally, God's going to start to, what he's doing is he's going to start doing things. You have to look at this story as a king, the kingdom way, as really a picture of Christ. And what does he do? He brings Moses, and the first thing he does is, you need to get into my presence. Because what I'm going to ask you to do, you cannot do on yourself on your own. In fact, what, is, what does Moses do? He says, I can't. The first thing he says to him is, I can't. I can't do that. I don't want to go back to Egypt. I don't want, I can't, I'm not going to go face Pharaoh. And so the Lord, supernaturally, they have a little bit of an argument, which is kind of funny, arguing with God. God wins. God won. He says, okay, you can take your brother Aaron. He'll help speak for you. Which, by the way, when I read the scriptures, I never see Aaron speaking. Did you ever notice that? You ever notice he says, Aaron can speak for you, but then whenever it says it, Moses said it? So I wonder if he was like, he realized, I guess I can do this, not in some sort of pride, but just trusted God. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. You guys can study that on your own, but I, I don't see Aaron speaking too often after he said, I need Aaron to do the speaking. But so God says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. You're not going to be able to face Pharaoh on your own. You're absolutely right. In fact, he's not going to let my people go. He's not going to let this world go. You think Satan's just going to let this world go? You're going to have to fight for it. But I'm going to do the fighting for you. I just need you to stand up there, and you just do what I tell you to do. You say what I tell you to say. And in fact, I'm going to give you some signs and wonders that are greater than you. I'm going to put a staff in your hand. 
and I'm going to give you some signs, right? We're going to turn leprosy, no leprosy, right? We know the signs, right? And then God starts sending the plagues and so on. He frees them. But what is the point of that story? The point was, it's not Moses. And yet, Moses, when he's submitted to God, even thinking, I can't do it, I can never do it, and, and, and it was not like, man, Moses arrives. It has nothing to do with Moses. In fact, it says, he wrote of himself, he was the most humble person that ever lived. So it wasn't about him arriving, but it was about doing what God asked him to do. Now, simultaneously, he had the benefit of God's presence. In fact, that's what he made. He made it as a pattern. Just quickly, and I've been promising you I was going to get to it, and I'm trying. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for getting these verses out. Exodus 33, 7 tells us that it was, it says, it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. And it says that everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their tents, and they would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing? And don't you dare start thinking, well, that was Moses. This is a long time. This is just that God did different things in the Old Testament. That's a lie from Satan. In fact, I'm going to show you that we have a greater relationship than even Moses could ever imagine. It says that as he went in, God's presence hovered. And in verse 11, it says, Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. You see the pre-Christ here that Jesus was already setting this up, that he was trying to, what does it say of Adam and Eve? What does it say of Adam and Eve? It says that Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden with God. They walked like friends with God. God made them and they were friends with God. And so the picture is of Moses is he drew him out of the world first. And, 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 and there's definitely some things going on inside of his heart. There's a wrestling that must happen with you and God. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Going back to the beginning of my sermon, he's going to deal with the stuff in you. In fact, if you don't deal with the stuff, it's a heartbreaking story. We're going to be with Moses for eternity, so it's all said and done. I don't think Moses minds now, but it was a heartbreaking story when Moses, come on, there's still a wrestling. You can have the miracles. He's doing miracles for God. He's leading the people. He's leading millions of people out of the world and, and into God's promise, and yet he misses the promised land himself because at some point he forgot that it was all God and got back into his flesh. So there's definitely something that's happening here dealing with the internal, all right? There's, there's, it's, a, it's a supernatural thing that God is doing. It's all him, and yet it is still you. You still have to deal with you. If you don't deal with you, it will bite you in the end. Meanwhile, he's still going to use you. Come on. Thank God. He's still going to use you. He still used him. You can have a call of God. You can do things for God, but you still have to deal with you. So, I mean, that's why I kind of made three points. Hopefully, you're getting those things today that he, it's, it's you, but it's really through you. You don't worry about it. If he had just kept trusting God, God told him exactly what to do. He says, now, this time, I don't want you to strike the rock. I just want you to speak to it this time. And he goes down and strikes it like he had struck it before, and it works. He was able to get something to happen. He was able to get a moment to happen, but it wasn't what God had asked him to do. So, 
But, but the point is that Moses went into the presence of God, and this is where he lived. It says that he would meet with him like a friend. And it says in Exodus chapter 40, finally they build this tabernacle, and it says, remember, he's meeting with him with, as a friend. Are we okay so far? Just for a few more minutes. Are we okay for a few more minutes? You guys want me to wait and do this next week? Okay. So he finally sets it up, though, in more of a, uh, uh, it's going to be more for the community and so that the glory of God, okay? He met with what it looks like, and we don't have time for the teaching, but like Jesus, because you can't meet with God, okay? God the Father doesn't meet with flesh, right? Remember, he's meeting with him face to face, but then his, the glory of God, he has to shield him, right? He only gets a little piece of the back of him, and his face is shining because of it. We talked about that last week. You can go and read the verses. But so the glory of God itself is going to come down. So it says that they finally, in Exodus 40, they're going to they're gonna bring uh, all the things into order, and they place the ark, and just, so, just quickly for time. Am I going too quick, though? Okay, we're all getting this. So it says, finally, they place everything, and then it says in verse 34 of Exodus chapter 40, I want you to get this. It says that Moses met with God face to face. You hear me? He met with God face to face, and yet it says this in Exodus chapter 40. It says, then, actually 21, let me read this first. They brought the ark in, they, hit, they hang the inner curtain, and what that did was it separated the most holy of holies from the holy place, all right? It separated the tent of meeting from what was going to be the glory of God, okay? Does that make sense? And so it says in verse 34 that the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And verse 35 says that Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses is pre-Christ. As much as Moses is dealing with things with God and being obedient to God, and, 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 really, and a picture, really, of what Jesus is going to do for us, rescuing us out of the world and meeting with us, he could only go so far. And just for sake of time, you can do your own study, but only one time a year, one day of year, we just, we just had it, Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, only the high priest, which was not Moses, even though Moses met with God face to face, only the high priest could go into that holy of holies one time, and he better be right. He better not have any issues in his life. You know, this, you know the history, right? They tied the rope around his ankle with a bell, because if he dropped dead in God's presence, they couldn't go in there and get him, so they had to drag him out. So this guy would go in, and he'd bring the blood, bring the blood in to cover the people's sins before the glory of God. And so this is just, this is, this is the life that God is calling us to because, and, and we can look at this deeper, but just to close, it tells us in the book of Hebrews, and you can read, read just read through the whole book because the whole book is a picture of the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. And so in chapter three, it says in Hebrews, and so dear brothers and sisters who belong to God, 
and our partners with those called to heaven think carefully about this Jesus we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. It says, for he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. Isn't this amazing? But verse 3 says, but Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later, but Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And let's, let's hear these words. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. It tells us in Matthew 27, verse 50, that as Jesus is dying, it says in verse 50, he dies by saying this, he shouts again, Matthew 27, verse 50, and he releases his spirit, and in verse 51 it says, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And it says in Hebrews 9 that Christ, verse 11, became the high priest. So he's the one allowed to go in there. And verse 12, not with the blood of animals, but his own blood. And verse 24, it says Christ didn't enter into that place by human hands, but it was a copy of heaven. So verse, so chapter 10 in Hebrews says, so Dear brothers and sisters, we, everybody, let's read this out loud. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, We, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Moses met with God face to face, and yet, and he led millions of people out of Egypt just by being obedient to God. He literally did nothing in his own power, in his own strength, and the one time he does, he loses the promise. Everything was God, and yet the Bible tells us, hopefully I made some sense today, that he was restricted from God's glory, but you in this room, through Jesus Christ, are welcomed. In fact, not just welcomed, and I talked about this back when I talked about Esther in August. We are allowed to boldly enter heaven's most holy place. There is a place that we're supposed to live, and what happens in that place? Well, what happened in, with Moses? It's very clear, and we just don't have the time. You can talk to me after. But the glory of God settled upon. Moses just got a glimpse. Remember, his face shone just from seeing a little piece of it. We're welcome to come in and live there with Christ. That's where Christ lives, and he brought us through his blood to live there with him, which means our lives are without excuse. And those are, there's many verses that say that. We are without excuse. It says if, if the blood of animals did such and such, right, and I just don't have the time, imagine us trampling, it says there in chapter 10, on the blood of Jesus. 
What a mockery of Jesus to not be living in that most holy of holies. That's what he purchased it for, so that the glory of God that he placed on Adam and Eve would be placed back on you again, and you're not carrying your tough skin around. It's no longer you toughing it out and toughing it against people and trying to figure life out, and you're like, I made it, and I'm tough, and and they don't get to me. No, they need to get to you. Let them get to you so that you deal with the issues and realize that you have no strength, that you're nobody, that it's not you, that it's God. And that he and his glory wants to shine in you and through you into this world around you. Man, if that was not a mouthful, I don't know what was. So you're going to have to listen to that maybe three times to hear what the Lord said. We just thank you, Jesus, for your word. We thank you, God, that your word is filled with life. And Lord, I, I can't even try to preach how to do this, Lord. It would be backwards. Lord, bring us into that place. Jesus, we pray, even as Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, that we would have a revelation of you, Jesus, and of who you are. Bring us into that place, Lord, into your glory. Lord, we don't, we're not crying out for glory to have glory. We don't want glory for glory's sake. Lord, we want to live in that place you called us to live so that we can be, Lord, who you called us to be. I pray, Lord, supernaturally, God, that you would do that, that we would not reject you, Lord, as they did at the Holy Mountain and why Moses had to meet with you on his own. But, Lord, I pray that we, Lord, all of us, and, Lord, many, many, many more in this church and in this valley, Lord, would seek you just for you, and Lord, then we would just be, Lord. We just live in your presence and reflect your glory, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.